So it's good to see you all. Um, it's it's been a it's been an interesting week for me. Um, so I'm potentially being made redundant uh, in a few months' time, uh, and I do not know what I'm going to be doing in three months' time. Uh, so I'm I'm preaching to you from an interesting place this morning. So Trevor had asked me to preach at Sizewell. Um, it asked me to preach on being cold. It asked me to preach on being cold because of how much effort I put into the workplaces that I do. Um, so I think it's interesting the, the, the place that I'm in this morning talking to you from. So at Sizewell, Trevor actually preached for me, but he said, you know what, don't throw away what you've prepared. So I didn't. So we're going to look again this morning at Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. And this is from the Passion Translation. There's not going to be any PowerPoint to today. Uh, if you know me well, uh, Sp Spike's already sitting there trying to, trying to tap in scriptures uh, as we go, because I do tend to like using the Word of God. Funny that, because the Word of God tells us how to live, so it's a good place to be in. So Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says this. So be very careful how you live, not being like those that don't have any understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we live in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And don't live foolishly, for then you'll have discernment to fully understand God's will. Now, I don't know if, like me, when you were growing up, some of you are older than me, some of you are a bit younger than me, but Tom and Jerry was one of the big things as I was growing up. And the Tom and Jerry cartoons, where, 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 where Tom is this cat, just doing what cats do, chasing this little mouse. And this little mouse, which seems to be hell incarnate, uh, tormenting this cat. And quite often you had these uh, little scenes where you had a, a, a little devil and a little angel sitting on the shoulder. It, for, to, to bring it up to date, those of you that, that like The Simpsons, there's quite often Simpsons episodes where, where you've got Homer sitting there with a, a devil and his angel sitting on his shoulder. The Bible tells us to be very careful about how we live. So being very careful about how we live, what is it to be godly? What does that look like? What is a godly life? So if we're to be careful about how we live as Christians, how do we live in a godly way? So godliness is made up of a couple of different things. It's made up of morality, what's right or what's wrong. And actually there is right and wrong. Uh, it, it, it does exist in this world. There is the right thing to do and there is the wrong thing to do. And there's also a sense of purpose. When we look at living our life and look at the life of Christ, who we emulate, his was a life of morality and purpose. When we talk about Jesus, as he was headed towards that end part of his life, it says he set his face like a flint towards the cross. He knew what was coming. He had purpose. So what is our godly purpose? 
When we think about being godly, we probably think about holiness in the moral realm. But do we think about being a people of godly purpose? We probably think about our ethics in the workplace, our morality, how we come across, how people see us. But do we think about ourselves as a people that actually have a godly purpose? The fact that God is a God of purpose means that if we are to be like him, then we will be a people of purpose, but our purpose will also be in line with his purpose. You see, Jesus lived to accomplish the Father's purpose and knew that he had done so as his short life neared his end. He said in John 17, 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. That was John 17, 4. See, Jesus knew that he had a work to do. Sitting here this morning, do we feel as if we have a work to do? A calling, a purpose, something that isn't just about living, living well, living good. Lots of people live good lives, but not many people live lives of godly purpose. They are very different things. Jesus knew the Father's purpose, and he lived according to it. To be like Jesus, we must follow his example by being people of purpose. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it tells us this about how to live our lives. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on that which is unseen. Since what we see is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Queen's death gives us a, a good example of mortality. She's lived a long life of 96 years, but it's temporary. Life comes to an end. What are we building our lives towards? The job that I'm currently in, for however long that is, I deliberately took that job for one purpose and one purpose alone. When I went into my interview, I said, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave something behind me. I said, I'm getting old. I want to do something that means something. I want to do something of character. I wasn't thinking about how long I would work in that workplace. I was thinking about what I could achieve in that workplace for change. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I'm just about to have uh, something published. So whilst I might look back uh, three years and wonder where God's hand was in that, I can see the fruits of some of that, the fruits of legacy. When we start fixing our eyes on what is unseen, what God's call on your life is, what your godly purpose is. You see, the Bible is full of it. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is something that a lot of us know very well. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for us. God has that godly purpose. And very often we and blandify Christianity. We boil it down until it's all the goodness. It's, it, 
it's like boiling a plate of sprouts until they're dead and all the flavor's gone and there's nothing left. And sometimes we do that with these amazing scriptures. We think, oh yeah, God's got a plan for me. Yeah. God has got a plan for us. You know, the word of God needs to be chased down, apprehended and taken into our souls and our spirits. God has a plan for us. A plan to prosper us and not harm us. A plan for a hope and a future. You know, that is amazing. That is such an amazing thing. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. So that you can, that's purpose, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, on Monday, ambassadors from all around the world are going to come to a funeral uh, of a queen. You're ambassadors of a king. That is your calling. That is your purpose. Your purpose in life is to be ambassadors of reconciliation, of telling people that you can be at peace with God. That's the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came to bring peace, to breach that gap that man had opened up between God and himself, to, to spend his life on the cross so that no one would perish, but everyone would have eternal life. So when we're thinking about this scripture, about the times that we live in, about making the most of the evil days in which we live, it's really important to know that in this time, we are called with purpose. And there isn't really a, there isn't a kind of get out clause. Sometimes it's a case of establishing what our purpose is. You know, working with uh, children and young people, at, what do you want to be when you're, no, no, no. It, well, if you actually get verbal language rather than, rather than a grunt uh, and asking children what they want to be, you're quite like, oh. You know, sometimes purpose is things that are gradually revealed to us. You know, I spent many years as a young Christian thinking, like, when, when, when's my big spiritual breakthrough going to come? God, when are you really going to use me? When, when, when am I going to convert all of Scotland or... Uh, 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 I might have been a bit conceited as a young man, but, you know, we have these ideas, but God's purpose is there. And that is the building block on which we must build. See, I'm entering a time again where I'm going to be seeking God about what's your purpose next? Where are we going next? And it will unfold before me. And I will enjoy that process. Because it's God revealing his light and giving opportunity to us. It's God opening new doors to be ambassadors of reconciliation. The next part of that scripture was not being like those with no understanding. We're not to be foolish. So when I was growing up as a Christian, and God obviously is a God of purpose, and I knew God had a purpose for my life uh, because I just did. It's how I've been brought up. 
I've, I've got a purpose. I'm going to live my life for God. God, you're going to do things through my life. So obviously then, sort of rationally thinking, I couldn't die. Like no, nothing could possibly kill me. Um, and I was a pretty fast runner as well. So because I couldn't die, I used to kind of dare the buses um, quite a lot. And I used to stand at one end, of, one end of the road and wait for the buses to come up and see if I could beat the bus to smooshing me into smithereens. And of course, I'd never be smooshed into smithereens because God had a purpose for my life. This was all really well and good until one day I ran in front of a bus and I wasn't quite as fast as a bus, but God decided he wasn't going to smoosh me. He was just going to teach me a bit of a lesson. The bus ran over the back of my trainers and I then went like Michael Jackson forward, like, straight onto the pavement and I spluck on the pavement. The fact that we have a life of purpose doesn't mean we can live foolishly. It still means we need to live godly. It doesn't excuse our morality. It doesn't mean we develop a sense of entitlement. We're Christians, we're the chosen ones. Israel had to learn some very serious lessons about what it meant to feel a sense of privilege. And they were taken into slavery, captivity. And we can read that through the whole history of Israel about the complications that come about when we think we are a people of privilege instead of understanding that we're a people of purpose. We have been incredibly privileged by, by grace, but we've been privileged to use it for purpose. Not because we're better than anybody else, but because God has a plan for our life. You see, we have got to be understanding God. In Acts 19, we hear this story. Acts 19, 14 to 16. There were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, and they were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You see, we can't presume on relationships that we do not have and we haven't built. The seven sons of Sceva were Jewish exorcists. They, they thought that somebody had come up with a, a new special formula in the name of Jesus. But they had no relationship with Jesus. And they suffered the consequences of that. It's really important that as we live lives of purpose, those lives of purpose are rooted in relationship. When they're not done out of relationship, we find some of the mishaps and the ups and downs that we have experienced in our Christian life. And what will, ha what will often have happened is that the purpose won't have been wrong, but we've got a bit up in our privilege, we've misinterpreted things, or we've let our relationship uh, drop off. It's really important that when we live lives of purpose, our relationship should be right. Because when our relationship's right, 
we can live honorably with true wisdom because we live in evil times. Psalm 90 verse 10 says this, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. We're not living in, we're living in troubled times, but troubled times have always been there. Troubled times have always been there. This is what David says, the best of our days are trouble and sorrow. In the New Testament, it tells us to expect trials and temptations. So we should expect that our lives are actually peppered with times of difficulty, with times of challenge. But that's when we need to understand about how we live this life honorably with wisdom. In Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I know it's really important this. I've worked to uh, many, many jobs over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of them I'm not interested in because they have no value. They wouldn't accomplish anything. There wouldn't be any legacy in the time that I have left on this earth. I'm 52. Hopefully I've got a few more years to go, according to Sam's. But what I want to do in those years, I want to do with purpose and passion. And sometimes those choices, are, we need to be praying for God's heart of wisdom. And wisdom is something that comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. Uh, James chapter 5, wisdom comes from, from God. Those who lack wisdom, let them ask from God, who gives generously. In Psalm 90, verse 17, the psalm carries on. It says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90 is all about living with godly purpose. It's all about, as this passion in it, passage in Ephesians talks about, that, that we should live, that we should redeem the time, that we should live honorably, that we live in difficult times. But we need to pray that God establishes the work of our hands. One of the other Psalms says that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So let what we build, let what we look towards be something that is built upon God. Because unless it is, it will fail and it will fall down. Live honorably and with true wisdom. So I think we've now lived in, actually, so Josh is 30 now, Josh is 30. So 29 years ago, we lived in a house that we could not afford, a massive three-bedroom, semi-detached house that was unfurnished, and actually we couldn't afford to furnish it. Uh, we were in there for Josh's first Christmas, and Josh is 30 now, so, so 30 years ago. And it was a it was a real blessing. We it, it was a it was a time where we never actually had enough money to pay the bills, and I still, for the life of me, don't know how we managed each month 
to, to pay the bills, but miraculously, my, my bank account never seemed to go dry. So when you wrote down the columns about what we had to spend, that you would always seem to be in deficit. But God really looked after us uh, uh, and our young first son, uh, Josh. But it was a house that was owned by somebody in the Ministry of Defence. Um, and he came to us one day and said, you've been fabulous tenants, but I need you to leave in a month's time uh, because I've been redeployed down to Portsmouth. Um, so I rang up the council and said, listen, you've got to help us. Like my landlord's making us homeless. Uh, got, got this young son. And they said, well, what you need to do is at the end of the month, we want you to stay there. Um, and I said, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, that's fine. You've made yourself voluntarily homeless and we won't find you a house. So I said, well, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Not doing it. Um, and then um, about two weeks later, we got a phone call that said, oh, we found you a house. Um, and we thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, we, we didn't back down on what God has said. A house was found for us um, within that time. And we were able to move into a house. And me and Russ were so happy. And we said, please, God, as long as it's not three floors up in, uh, in that estate down the road. So... <laughs> So, so when we arrived at our new, new house, three floors up on that estate down the road, the, the every night the, the cars were burning in the estate. But, you know, as we faithfully lived there, more and more Christians moved onto the estate. The burnt-out cars stopped. My next-door neighbour got converted uh, as we sat out and played backgammon in the evening. You know, sometimes it's really hard to live honorably with true wisdom because at times we're going to be living in situations that run counterculturally to how we see that because we picture how God should work it out and God has his plans. And I've got to tell you, I've been a Christian a long, long while now. Rarely are the two things very similar. God's way of working things through and out are very often different from ours. Now, I left home at 16 years old and I came down here 500 miles to, to live in London and I had no real support here at all. So as a 16-year-old, um, I created a purpose with God and I said that I wanted to live my life for children and young people and to always be there where, where children don't have that opportunity to have someone to be their advocate. And my first job was as an insurance underwriter in the city of London and that didn't seem very close to that. So I was working in, uh, I've been working in youth clubs since I was 16 years old so that I'd start doing that and putting my faith into action and working and working and working. And then after working there for a while and working in retail, I eventually got a job that was working just with children and young people full time. And I worked with young carers in the, in the borough of Bromley. Um, and it was great and then really, really well respected there. And then 
my manager left and the job became vacant to be the young carers manager and I thought well, this is great the children love me uh, everyone else loves me uh, it seemed like this was God's next part of the plan for me so I had the interview and in the interview one of the trustees said to me you've got a lot in your CV about church stuff and God stuff how do we know that you're not just going to try and convert all the children at which I totally lost my place point in the interview and had a really bad interview so I took it to what's called an industrial tribunal uh, and they said yeah that's what she said that was unfair and they said like, what do you want us to do about it and I said nothing I said I'll help you train your manager but I'll probably be leaving at some at some stage so I spent a year training the next young carers manager because they didn't have the experience that I did introducing them to all the children and you know sometimes living a godly life doesn't mean you live a pain-free life it's about knowing what God's called you to do and acting with honor and courage and purpose 1 Corinthians 9 19 to 22 says this and this is Paul talking about himself so I am free and I don't belong to any anyone I made myself a slave to everyone so that I can win as many as possible to the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews to those who are under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law so as to win those who are under the law to those that don't have the law I became like one that don't have the law so I'm not free from God's law I'm under Christ's law so that I can win those who don't have the law to the weak I became weak to win the weak I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some you know when we think about life and purpose and read that Paul said that I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some I often talk to my parents who struggle with the amount of tattoos that I have uh, I said that do you know how many conversations I have with young people that that I can enter into especially in a school context because if they ask me about them I can answer the question I can't I can't I can't bring up conversations about Christ but if anyone asks me why I've got Christian written on my arm uh, great great greatest opportunity ever use everything you have at any time to the best of your ability to bring people to Christ because we are a people of purpose and we are told that we are to be ambassadors for Christ bringing people to him your daily life is different from my daily life but in that daily life become all things to all people so that by all means possible some might be saved you know knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad 
There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. We can have a lot of God knowledge in our head and we can apply it totally inappropriately. What we need is we need wisdom that comes from God. When we don't know what wisdom is, James tells us, if you lack wisdom, seek God who will give you wisdom abundantly. You see, it's not enough just to have knowledge. I've got more knowledge about obscure Christianity than any of you would ever want to know. I love early church history. I know reams about the early church fathers that used to sit on top of pillars in the middle of the desert, or Celtic monks that used to fight the Loch Ness monster and chop off heads or whatever else. But none of that knowledge is relevant or applicable. Wisdom is what's applicable. Wisdom about the person that I'm going to meet on the street. How I comport myself with my boss in a meeting on Friday. Am I going to represent Christ? Do I have the wisdom to do that? I've got a lot of knowledge. I've got a knowledge of, I've got of knowledge about processes and practices, but that needs to go out the window. It needs to be wisdom that sits in a meeting, not knowledge. We need to take full advantage of every day as you spend life for his purposes. You know, life is relatively short. And at 52, I'm seeing how short it is. And one of the things uh, that I do every Sunday morning is I talk to my dad uh, on Sunday mornings. We have about an hour, hour's chat uh, at about six o'clock six o'clock every Sunday morning. We, we have about an hour long chat. Dad's now 74. Uh, just just had uh, just had some operations, and you see uh, the effects of age. You see the effects of mobility uh, uh, as we get older. We we see our cognitive abilities change as we get older. Life is short, um, and I really intend to use as much of mine up as I can in God's service. And. It's, it's been a wonderful blessing to become a grandparent. Uh, but Jared was, when he was born 11 months ago, he was kind of this size. Jared's now kind of up here. And I've seen this, this little baby grow from this guy, tiny little squidge that couldn't do anything for themselves to somebody that's rapidly becoming independent. Boy, can that lad shift. Like, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like one of those wind-up toys when you put it on the floor. It's like, you know, Life goes past in the blink of an eye. It, it only seems days ago that I was 16 uh, and living a different life in Scotland. It seems... A different time. Also, don't think you've got it sussed out. I was absolutely convinced at one stage that we were going back to Scotland. And then someone in the church said, are you really sure you should be leaving the church at this time? And we really felt the conviction of God and we've stayed here. I would really have loved to have gone back to live home. Uh, I, I would move to Scotland tomorrow if I could, but I can't because purpose 
controls my life. So have a think. You might think you've got it all sorted out. But be aware, God sometimes in, interrupts those plans that we have. In Daniel 12, verse 3, it says this. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness are like the stars forever and ever. You know, you may never be the person that leads somebody to Christ. But the way that you live your life of purpose, the way you live your life of honor, is a seed that is planted in someone's life. When I realized um, some of the stuff that was uh, about to be happening with my job, it, it, was an, uh, it was on a Sunday that I found out a lot of things were, were, were potentially going to be happening. And I'd been at um, Ronnie and Ian's for Arthur's birthday party. And one of my ex-students had seen that I'd been at that birthday party and they'd sent a message to Ronnie to, to say about the amazing thing that, that they'd never have got through school without me, they're now a serving police officer uh, and whatever else, and could you please show this to, to Dave Tate? So, so they, they, they came out and, and showed me this. And then Alex, who's Hannah's husband, uh, he was, he's just got a new job and his manager is somebody called blah, blah. And they said, what? You're married to Mr. Tate's daughter. Oh, can you tell Mr. Tate this? And you know, we don't see the outcome sometimes. Sometimes we, we've never had those conversations where somebody has been led to Christ. And we think, like, oh, well, I'm not really good at this Christian stuff. But it's because we're very often not privileged to see the fruit of our input. But what that means is don't stop inputting. Don't tire of doing good. Don't tire of living an honorable life. See, it's in the same way that it says in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, that's what it is about being an ambassador, a representation of Christ, a representation of God on earth. In Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves souls. So when you're asking about wisdom and knowledge, at times my knowledge did not save souls, but at times my wisdom has. My knowledge told a bunch of primary school kids that they were going to go to hell unless they repented and loved Jesus there on the playground and resulted in me being pulled round by my ankles across the tarmac. That was knowledge. Nothing wrong with that. There is hell. People need to be saved. As I've grown older, I've understood wisdom and grace go alongside judgment. But that time, my knowledge was solely based on judgment, without grace and mercy. And you know, what we need to do is we, we, we need to live our life out. 
We need to live our life developing day by day. So, some of this last three years, which appears to be coming to a close, I ended up doing something that I didn't plan to do when I started the job. So, my plan was to create an alternative provision uh, for, for students, which I more or less have done, which is quite a unique model. Uh, it, it was about to be part of a national pilot, and I thought, like, oh, got to do this. But about eight months into it, I was approached by the local authority in Bexley, and they said, we're looking for somebody to write a guide to inclusive practice for Gypsy, Roma, and Traveller uh, pupils in school because they have poor outcomes in school and what can schools do to better engage with Gypsy Roma and Traveller uh, pupils. So I said, yeah, sure thing. So I chaired a few meetings and things got bigger and bigger and we, we wrote a guide to inclusive practice for Gypsy Roma Traveller education which is being published uh, in the next month. Just as my job there seems to be coming to an end. And I said I wanted to do the job for legacy. Kind of once things have been published, that's kind of a legacy, isn't it? So a lot of our Christian life is about knowing when to hold on to things and knowing when to let go. Knowing when to let go. Understanding the purposes and times of God. That's led to a contact with the London Gypsy and Traveller project, who I've probably got time to do it now, have asked me to write a curriculum for secondary education uh, so that it, it can be taught in, in schools, which I'll probably do in my spare time. But it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes we think we know our purpose, but God has a slightly different purpose than we'd imagined. And it doesn't matter that the purposes diverge. What matters is that the life that we live while we're doing it is honourable, is showing God, displaying Christ. The last part of the Gospel of Matthew says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's actually something really interesting in this, which I've not picked up before. The Greek is, therefore, as you go, Make disciples of all nations. I know where my as you go is. My as you go is a school that's in Erith. Where is your as you go this week? What's it look like? Does it look like a, a cinema club? Does it look like um, the prayer groups that you're at? See, making disciples isn't about just converting people, it's about growing people in faith. Growing people in the knowledge of Christ. Where is your as you go this week? 
Is it a school? Is it baby banks? Is it church? Is it a car ride with somebody? I actually had a car ride down here. Interesting, isn't it? Because it is in the mundane and the things that we don't perceive that when we live our life with godliness, with purpose, with honour, that those seeds are planted so that people can be brought to righteousness. The last part of the passage that we're reading says, don't live foolishly, for then you'll have discernment to fully understand God's will. Romans 2, 1 to 4 says this, Therefore, those of you that have no excuse, you pass judgment on someone else. Remember that at whatever point you judge someone else, you condemn yourself, because you who pass judgment do the very same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You know, we mess stuff up all the time. But there's a root for us, which is repentance. And God's kindness calls us to repentance, to relationship with him. Not to judge the world, which we do live in evil times. But God hasn't called us to judge it. He's called us to be in it. And when we're in it, sometimes some of that dirt and grime for the world rubs off from us. And our actions become less honourable than they should be. And when they are, we need to bring ourselves back to repentance. Because when we don't, and we're making comments to people that are doing the very same things that we are, we won't be listened to. We're not ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors of hypocrisy, which is something that Christians are often uh, called out for. It's a bit like that story I told you about me telling all my school friends that they were going to go to hell. Like, where was the love in that? Where was the grace? Where was the mercy? Where was the wisdom? Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other, Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody and forgive as the Lord forgave you. These are the deep roots of the Christian life that allow us to live honourably. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If you have a grievance, then be forgiving just as the Lord forgave you. In 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 8, it encourages us to do this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this really fits into what Trevor was talking about, about increasing measure of sometimes when we, we start things off, thing, things don't taste quite right because they're developing. If you, eat a, if you eat a baby orange, right, they taste bitter. It's only when the orange is full that it tastes sweet, yet it's still an orange. Sometimes our fruits are still developing. We've started at that level where we've got faith in Christ. We've got faith in Jesus. We've got faith in God. But to faith, we are meant to be adding these things. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And these stop us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's think about those interactions that we have with others. Are they stirring up wrath? Or actually are they adding to people's faith, goodness, and all of those other marvelous things? Are they demonstrating love? Or are they demonstrating a, a God who is very different? Now this morning on Facebook I posted this from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out in religion? Then come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how it is that I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. If you keep company with me, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, sometimes, sometimes the biggest pressure we put ourselves is ourselves. We say, I'm not godly enough. I've blown it again. But every time we have, every day we have, we have a chance to start again. Because God's kindness leads us to repentance. We haven't failed God. We've just drifted off of purpose. When we live a life of godly purpose, many will come to righteousness. When we were going to do this at Sizewell, Trevor wanted people to, to think. Uh, think about the conversations they were going to have. You know, we have an opportunity to have conversations after church. But just to see, what are the important things to the people around us in this church? What godly purpose burns in them? Well, how would they most like to see the impact of Christ in their life? 
Now it says in Proverbs that if a man falls down, then water him, unless there is someone there to pick him up. For two heads are better than one. Think about getting alongside somebody. Make those relationships. Talk about your passion or purpose. Talk about the fact that you don't know what the next steps are. It's an incredibly freeing place to be. Rest in Christ. Rest in his body. Bear with each other. Bear each other's burdens and demonstrate love. And in that way, you're adding to your faith. And you're adding to the way that you're able to demonstrate Christ. Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Lord, all of us are going to different workplaces or some of us aren't at work. Lord, we just pray that you would bless us this week. Lord, bless our conversations, bless our sense of purpose. Lord, be with us when we get it wrong. Lord, help us acknowledge when we do and come to you so that we can be those vessels that shine brightly for you that give honour and glory and use the time that we have on earth wisely. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.